Well, happy Easter, everybody. I'm so glad to be here today. This is the day that we get to celebrate with billions of people all over the planet, billions of people all throughout history and time uh, that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty, that grave could not hold our Lord and Savior. Amen. I'm so excited that we get to celebrate this today. And so when we talk about it is finished, what do we mean when we say it is finished? What we mean by that, what Jesus meant by that is that every Everything that needed to be done for us to live life to the full, to live the life that God wanted us to live, Jesus has already done it. He did it on the cross. He did it as he rose from the dead. It's already been done. It is finished. I've told this story before, but I believe that stories are so powerful, and my story is powerful to me. I can remember growing up in church, and, and sure, there had been multiple times, Jesus, even as a, as a young kid, where I had, had responded in some way to an altar call or to the respond. Uh, responding some way to Jesus and to surrender my life. But I remember a very specific time when I was about 11 or 12 years old and I could take you to the exact spot on the sidewalk that I was at. And I was walking to school one day and this thought just came over me, this, this overwhelming thought, do I really know God? Do I really serve God? I mean, my parents do and I've, been, I've grown up in this, but I had this moment where I just stood there. I froze on this moment, this point in the sidewalk, this point in time where I just sat there and I just, I just became in awe of God. And I remember in that moment, I just, said, I just surrendered my heart to Jesus. I was in full awe of who God was. And who God is. What is that awe that I'm talking about? I'm talking about this awe that God, all powerful God, humbled himself and took on human flesh, left everything about heaven and came for you and I. And it's found that that, that part of scripture is found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Think about this. God emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the awe I'm talking about, that God came to, the, to this planet, that Jesus took on human flesh, so that he could become one of us. The famous evangelist Billy Graham tells a story. One day he was walking along the road, uh, with the roadside with two of his sons, his young sons, and they had accidentally kicked over an anthill. He was trying to, to explain this whole thing and trying to find words for it, but he, he, they kicked over this anthill and the ants were scrambling all over the place and some of them were hurt, some of them were wounded, and one of his kids looked up at him and said, Dad, I just wish there was some way to communicate that we didn't mean to do that, and some way that we could somehow help these ants and communicate that, that we want to help them in some way. And Billy Graham thought about that, and he said, you know, that's the way God kind of looked at us. And he saw us as, I mean, compared to God, we're nothing compared to that. And he saw us, and we were 
hurting and we were dying and, and he needed to find a way to get to us. And there was no real way to communicate that or to do that. And so as Billy Graham explained to his sons that day, he said, so what did God do? In essence, God became like one of us. It'd be as if we could become one of those ants and walk among them and be able to be one of them. That's what God did. Imagine that. Imagine emptying yourself so much to, to empty all the, the authority and the power and the mobility that you have right now. If you loved ants so much, God loved us so much that he gave all of that up to become one of us. And maybe you're watching today and you've never really heard the, the, the story of the gospel. Maybe you've heard it a thousand times. Sometimes I think if we want something to hit us in a fresh new way, we may have to hear it in a fresh new way. So watch this. The people had read of this rescue that was coming through the bloodline of Abraham. And they had seen where Micah proclaimed about a ruler to be born in Bethlehem. And Daniel prophesied about the restoration of Jerusalem. Isaiah's cry about the Son of God coming to them. So for them, it was anticipation. This groaning was growing generation after generation, knowing he was holy no matter what the situation, but they longed for him. They yearned for him. They waited for him on the edge of their seats, on the edge of where excitement and containment meet. They waited. Like a child watches out the window for their father to return from work, they waited. Like a groom stares at the double doors at the back of the church, they waited. And in their waiting, they had hope. Hope that was fully pledged to a God they had not seen, to a God who had promised a king, a king who would reign over the enemy, over Satan's tyranny. They waited. And so it was centuries of expectations with various combinations of differing schools of thought. Some people expecting a political king who would rise to the throne through the wars that he fought, while others expecting a priest who would restore peace through the penetration of the Pharisees' facade. Yet... A baby, 100% human, 100% God. And so the word became flesh and was here to dwell among us in his fullness, grace upon grace, Jesus. You see, through him and for him, all things were created and in him, all things are sustained. God had made himself known for the glory of his name and this child would one day rise as king, but it would not be by the sword or an insurgent regime. It would be by his life, a life that would revolutionize everything the world knew. He would endure temptation and persecution all while staying true, humbly healing the broken, the sick and hurting too, ministering reconciliation, turning the old to new. A life that would be the very definition of what life really costs, saying, if you desire life, then your crown must be lost. And he would portray that with his own life as his father would pour out and exhaust and he would be obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. And so just 33 years after the day that he laid swaddled in the hay, he hung on a tree, suffocating, dying in our place, absorbing wrath that is rightly ours, but we could never bear the weight. And so he took that punishment and he put it in the grave and he died. And when I say that he died, what I mean is that he died. 
There's no breath. There's no heartbeat. There's no sign of life. You see, God is a God of justice, and the penalty for our sin equals death. That's what Christ did on the cross. And then just three days later, in accordance with the scriptures, he was raised from the grave. And when I say that he was raised, what I mean is that he was raised. Lungs breathing, heart pumping, blood pulsing through his veins. The things that he promised were true. He is the risen son of God, offering life to me and you, turning our mourning into dancing, our weeping into laughing our sadness into joy by his mercy we are called his own by his grace we will never be left alone by his love he is preparing our home and by his blood we sing before his throne that Jesus paid it all on to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain but he washed it white as snow. So now we, as his bride, are the ones waiting. Like the saints that came before us, we're anticipating. He has shown us that this world is fading and he has caused our desire to be for him. And so church, stay ready. Keep your heart focused and your eyes steady. Worship him freely, never forgetting his great love for you. Emmanuel. So if there's anything I want you to catch today, it's this, that Jesus left everything to find you. Let me say it again. Jesus left everything to find you. And if the value of something is determined by the price someone's willing to pay for it, I mean, think about the value that you and I have because the very price of the Son of God was what was paid for you and I. So our value is enormous. Our value skyrockets. Now, in Scripture, there's all sorts of names attributed to Jesus, and these are all painting pictures of his character and what he does. And, you know, some of them are like, you know, Jesus is the bread of life, or he's the door, or he's the Lamb of God. And all of these paints, they paint a picture of who Jesus is. Well, in our series, The Path of the Exile, we come up to 1 Peter chapter 5, and here in 1 Peter chapter 5, we see another title or a name of God that's very revealing about who Jesus is. So watch this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse Verse 1, it says, so I exhort the elders among you. First of all, he starts talking to pastors, people like me. He says, as a fellow elder and the witness, uh, as a witness of his sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Starts to use this language of shepherding and sheep and, and all of that. And it says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. All of these things are pictures of what Jesus is and who Jesus is to us. How do I know that? Because the very next scripture says this, and when the chief shepherd, this is who Jesus is, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so begins to paint this picture that Jesus is a shepherd. And in fact, Jesus told this story um, when he was on the planet about a guy who had a hundred sheep. And he said, let's just say there was a guy who had a hundred sheep, but one of the sheep strayed away. 
And he begins to paint this picture that a good shepherd would be the type of person who would even leave the 99 to pursue all through the countryside, go in the rain or the storm or whatever it is to try to find this sheep that was lost. That's a picture of a good shepherd of just pursuing with everything that he's got to try to find even one that was lost. How many of you guys ever lost your kids before? <laughs> Anybody ever lost your kids before? Like when you're, when you're young parents, you start freaking out when you lose your kids. When you get older, you're kind of happy about it. You're like, oh, I don't even know where they're at, right? <laughs> but when we were young parents, um, Becca one night or one afternoon finally got our, I believe he was two years old, our two-year-old son finally put him down for a nap in the afternoon, which is a miracle. You parents know this. I mean, a miracle. And so she got him down for a nap. And then so she went to go take a nap. Well, the next thing that she knows, she hears a, a, the doorbell or a knock at the door. And so she goes to the door and doesn't really know how much time has passed, how much time she's been sleeping. But she goes to the door. She opens the door. It's my two-year-old son who had somehow climbed out the window, undid it, climbed out the window, was playing for however long he wanted to play, finally got tired of it, said, oh, I think I'll go inside. And so we went and we installed locks on the doors and, and we found he was opening the doors and going outside. He just couldn't keep him in. We installed hotel doors and hotel locks uh, on the doors there and we found him getting chairs out, standing on. I mean, this kid just couldn't stay in. And so sometimes you're like, man, where's the kid at? But I remember a few times when, when they were older a few years later and uh, there was this moment where I couldn't find one of my kids. I don't remember which one it was. I have so many. And so I couldn't find one of them. And there was that moment, if you've ever been in that situation before, there's that moment where you're frustrated and then the frustration turns to kind of a panic. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything about this right now. And I'm not suggesting that God is in a panic towards us who are lost, but I would suggest this, that I believe God's a loving father. I believe that those people who are lost, that when we're lost, there is an urgency that God has, just like a loving parent has when they have a kid that is lost. There's an urgency. There's a pursuit. There's a passion deeper than we could ever even know that God is pursuing us. What's the picture that's being painted here? The picture is that a good shepherd goes after the one. That means that God knows all of humanity. Yes, but I want you to think about this. God knows you personally. God knows humanity, but God knows you personally. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows the ins and outs. He knows every part of you. God knows even in the middle of the night when you wake up and you can't fall asleep and you have thoughts in that moment, God is there and God knows those thoughts. It's, it's in those times when, when you, you know, the Bible says that even knows how many hairs you have on your head. The Bible says that he counts your, your tears in it. He keeps your tears in his bottle, that he numbers the days of your years. He numbers it all. He counts it all. God, think about this, the God of the universe, all-knowing, all-powerful, created everything, yet knows you personally. And Jesus left it all so that he could find you, so that he could find me. That's what a good shepherd does. He knows every single detail. Can you ever think of a time, and maybe remember back to a time, when you just felt the love of God? I don't know, it could have been in a church service, it could have been just in the presence of God in your car, but you just felt the love of God. Can you remember a time like that? I want you to understand this, that God knows all. And when you felt that moment of the love of God so strong, God knew what you were going to do next. 
God knew how you might have turned away from him or how you might have stumbled into sin. And God knew the end from the beginning. And still in that moment, you felt the un unconditional love of God. That's the kind of God that he is. He's a good shepherd and he knows all, but he still pursues us and he leaves everything to find us. So, so why is Jesus a shepherd? I believe he's a shepherd and painted as this because it reveals this truth that we're going to see that is even better than life itself. And it also reveals this truth that actually says that there's something worse than death. Take a look at this. Have you ever noticed how art is just a reflection of the inner artist? You really see that in the catacombs. You would expect as you walked through the catacombs to see, um, you know, multiple pictures of ichthuses and crosses. But what you see are paintings of Daniel in the lion's den, Noah's ark, Jesus healing the paralytic. Um, but the most prolific icon in the catacombs um, is the resurrection of Lazarus not the resurrection of Jesus even. And it just kind of makes you wonder why. Because you got to remember that these are the same individuals who at that particular time were experiencing persecution um, like never before. Uh, this was the same group of people who on a regular basis would find themselves and, and, and see their friends uh, in the midst of these parties being torn apart by wild animals or being impaled on a pole and set on fire to light the parties just for the entertainment of the Roman elite. This is the same group of people, uh, when you look at it historically, who didn't flee Rome. Um, with this persecution going on, they stayed. So it just kind of makes you wonder um, what was going on in their heart. You know, a part of it, I think, um, was this belief that they didn't have to necessarily remember Jesus' resurrection, but that as his people, as his children, as his community, that they could experience it. That maybe they had this belief um, that there was something worse than being persecuted, um, that there was something worse than, um, than death. That maybe they understood that there was something worse than death, and that was to be lost, <laughs> um, to be disconnected from the Heavenly Father. You see that in Jesus' life. He obviously believed that there was something worse than death, his own death even, death on a cross. Um, and that was for all of mankind uh, to spend eternity disconnected from the Father. So you just wonder if that early church didn't have at the very core of who they were that belief that there was truly something worse than death. And that's being lost. I was in India and there was an orphanage except uh, they wouldn't let me call it an orphanage they they said it was um, a children's home because orphans were people who were homeless and these kids were no longer homeless and as you walked into this entrance um, you saw all the kids but then your eye was immediately drawn to the uh, wall and and on the wall was this huge tapestry and it was a picture of jesus holding this little lamb and underneath it it said lost no more <laughs> i mean they got it um, the core of who they were um, was that there was something worse than death and that was being lost. But then what really drove them was the flip side of that. Um, that there was something better than life. And that life uh, and that just existence that we often go through. And, and what was better than that was being found. What was better than that um, was to be lost no more. Was to be found by our Heavenly Father. Jesus left all to find us. He left everything to find us. Now, here's the real question, and this is where it all 
comes to a head for us right now. Jesus left everything to find us. Will you leave everything to follow him? That is a question that has been asked of every disciple who has ever followed Jesus. When Jesus would go up to people, he would just say, follow me. And that meant I leave everything else behind. We, Jesus left everything to find us. The question is, will we live, leave everything to follow him? And if the value of something is determined by the price someone is willing to pay for it, we've got to get really honest here. How valuable is God to us? I can tell you how valuable God is to us. It's, it's really by the, the amount of things we're willing to leave. That's how valuable God is to us. And so it's, this really means surrendering all. This really means to truly follow Jesus means that he is our king. It means he is our everything. It means that nothing else matters. See, our problem in the United States is not that we lack so many things. It's that we have so many things. See, the rich man in the, in the Bible, it wasn't that he lacked a whole bunch of things. It was that he had too much that he wasn't willing to surrender. Jesus left everything to find us. Will we leave all? Will we leave everything to follow him? Jesus humbled himself. So that means we have to humble ourselves if we're to surrender all. In fact, as we continue reading in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says this, continuing with this example, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't think you want to be on the other side of God. And it says that God opposes the proud. You see, proud people can't surrender their life to Jesus. Proud people have to do it their own way. But if we enter into humility, we, we humble ourselves. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he can exalt you. And then it finishes up by saying, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, we like, to, we like to carry our cares because it means we're in charge. There are so many people right now who are carrying your cares. That means I'm in charge of my life. I think I can handle this. But God tells us to cast our cares. Casting our cares is a sign of humility. Casting our cares is a sign of transferring responsibility. Casting our cares says, God, I don't want to be in control of my life. I surrender all my life to you. Jesus left everything to find us? Will we leave everything to follow him? Those of us who are believers who have been following Jesus for a long time, we have to ask ourselves, are there areas of our life that are contrary to the ways that God wants us to think? Are there attitudes in our heart that we need to humble ourselves and to submit unto the lordship of Jesus Christ because he's done everything to find us? Will we leave all to follow him? And one of the best ways that we can do that, and we do that uh, at something that we have been doing as Christians for thousands of years now. I want you to think about this. This unites Christians and believers of, through every race, through every generation, through every continent, and it's something we call communion. And so if you're there uh, at home right now or wherever you're at, go ahead and grab your elements of communion. Maybe all you have is a glass of water and a cracker. <laughs> that will be fine too. Maybe you got a Coke and a Dorito. That will be fine too. We are just doing whatever we can to, to have a moment where we, we come before God and we humble ourselves and we remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. And so while you guys are preparing that or preparing your hearts, let me talk to one last group of, of people that may be watching this right now. And I just want to talk to you if you have not surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. You know that you've been going your own way. 
I want, I want you to know that even when you didn't know it, Jesus was pursuing you. The Bible says that even while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Now, maybe you felt it in the prayers of other people. Maybe you felt it at certain moments where you could almost sense the presence of God calling you. Maybe you felt it because there's this emptiness or this void in your heart that I'm telling you only God can fill. And so those of you guys right now who you know, I have been doing my own thing. I've been going my own way. I want to give you an opportunity right now before we receive communion to really surrender your heart to Jesus. And we do that really, really simply. The Bible says that if we would just simply confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that we would be saved. That starts us on the journey. It's not like a get into heaven free type ticket. No, it's just starting the journey. It's just declaring before everyone, maybe declaring even in your heart, declaring before every other allegiance of your heart and letting your own heart know that I belong to Jesus and I'm gonna follow Jesus with everything that I've got. And so I'm gonna help you right now and you can just pray this prayer right there where you're at. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. I believe that you took my sin upon the cross and that you paid the price for me to have a relationship with you. Lord, thank you that you give me this access to the Father, that I don't have to do it on my own merits or my own works, but I, I can access the Father. I can have a relationship with you, with you, with, with Jesus because of what has happened on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead and I believe you're alive today. And today, I just surrender my life to you. I know that you've been doing everything to find me and now I choose to leave all. I turn from my ways. I turn from my old life and I turn to you and I leave everything to follow you in Jesus name. Amen. I want you to know that if you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that the old is gone and the new has come. The Bible literally says that you are a brand new creation. It's like you have brand new spiritual DNA on the inside. That song, that old song that says, oh, the blood of Jesus washes white as snow. Oh, you ought to feel the, the blood of Jesus just wash over you. What does that mean? That, that simply means that what Jesus did on the cross, the blood that was spilled, that was the payment for your sin to be washed away. And now you've been and made clean. And so now all of us can come to the table and we can remember this. The, we, we do this in remembrance. The Bible says that, that we do this in remembrance. So whatever you have, uh, you can take these elements. And I'm going to read this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. We're going to receive communion together right there where you're at. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. All right, so take the, this, this bread right now or cracker, whatever you have, it represents the body of Jesus on the cross. You say, well, this is kind of a weird thing to, type, to do, but that's why we humble ourselves and we remind ourselves of how powerful Jesus is. And so this is in remembrance of him. Let's take it right now. All right, let's continue. Verse 25. In the same way, you also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this, this juice or whatever it is that you have, it's fine. Whatever you've got, it represents that the precious blood of God was spilled 
for our sins to be washed away. We're so thankful for that. We're so thankful that he didn't just stay on that cross or stay in that grave, but he is alive today. Let's receive together. Let me pray for you guys as we close. God, we thank you so much that you are Lord of all. We thank you that you left everything to find us. And Lord, we decide today we're going to leave all to follow you. Lord, I pray that there would be joy in every single home that's watching, every single place and the person that is listening right now. We just proclaim your joy because it, this is that we get to not just think about your resurrection or read about your resurrection. We get to experience resurrection in the lives of people around us spiritually. And we have this hope that one day we all will be resurrected with you. And we thank you for that in Jesus name. Amen. Happy Easter, guys. Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord of all. Amen. We'll see you next time.